Welcome to Sky Island Unitarian Universalist Church. We are here this morning to mourn the death and celebrate the life of Burton Lowell Jones. Husband, father, grandfather, family member, colleague, friend, and beloved member of this congregation for many years. We are here to surround Mitzi, Lowell, Donna, and Benjamin with love and care. We come to laugh, to cry, to honor a good man and a life well lived, to perhaps gain some wisdom for our own lives from the stories we will hear and tell. Let us rejoice that Bert Jones lived. Let us honor all of the gifts he bestowed upon us by lighting our chalice, the symbol of Unitarian Universalism, in celebration of Bert's life. I now invite Benjamin, Bert's grandson, to come and light the chalice. <coughs> This was written by Patricia, and a friend of hers, a very close friend of hers in California is very close to dying, so she couldn't be here, but I agree with every part of it. After all, both Patricia and I were just one of, uh, of Bert's darlings. <laughs> Bert Jones had many facets to his personality. All his life, he worked for justice. He loved his family and he loved his friends. Bert did not like pretense. I can probably count on the fingers of one hand the number of times I saw him dressed up. And by that I mean in jeans and a t-shirt <laughs> rather than Bermuda shorts and a t-shirt. He called the ladies darling, and no one seemed to mind because all of us knew that his true darling was his beloved Mitzi. I have a couple of readings that I believe reflect Bert's loving and irreverent character. As Befits a Man by Langston Hughes. I don't mind dying, but I'd hate to die all alone. I want a dozen pretty women to holler cry and moan. <laughs> I don't mind dying, but I want my funeral to be fine. A row of long, tall mamas, fainting, fanning, and crying. <laughs> I want a fishtail hearse and 16 fishtail cars a big brass band, and a whole truckload of flowers. And when they lay me down, down into the clay, I want the women to holler, please don't take him away. Oh, please don't take our bird away. But what advice would Bert give to all of us now? Perhaps it would be something like these words of William Sarolin. The most solid advice for anyone is this, I think, 
try to learn to breathe deeply, really to taste food when you eat, and when you sleep, really to sleep. Try as much as possible to be wholly alive with all your might, and when you laugh, laugh like hell. And when you get angry, get good and angry. Try to be alive. You will be gone soon enough. <laughs> I even have on my 1975 floor shoes. <laughs> Bert Love, Reinhold Niebuhr. Niebuhr was a mid-20th century philosopher, theologian, uh, and uh, Bert had many of Niebuhr's sayings uh, that he could quote. I will quote one. There was a time when I had all the answers. My real growth began when I discovered <laughs> the questions to which I had the answers were not the important questions. <laughs> I know Niebuhr. Now, you Unitarian Universalist members of this congregation have many reasons to remember Bert, besides chasing the ladies. <laughs> God, he was good. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think that if Unitarian Universalists ever decided to have saints, Bert, Bert would get would be considered. He, I don't think he would necessarily want to dress like a damn saint. But <laughs> he sure never put anything on. But we have other reasons to remember Bert. That the uh, unseen Bert. Uh, I, nearly, I can say that this congregation survived. Because of Bert, uh, I, I know uh, a number of times he he was anonymous. I I know one time we were having a, a party after our second uh, pledge drive. We just barely squeaked in. I was coordinating it, and uh, we really laid it on. We had had everything, and. But we didn't have enough money to pay the band. <laughs> Bert came forward if he could do it anonymously. And he slipped me enough to pay him off. We love Bert. Thank you. As Reverend Linda said, we gather today for a celebration, a celebration of the life, love, and laughter of Bert Jones, and a recognition of the many lives touched by his life. And in this celebration, we also inevitably mourn. We grieve. We cannot help but be sad at the loss of Bert's presence among us, for that is a loss. 
Bert had a big presence. I can easily call it up in my memory. Filled with humor, generosity, wisdom, and humility. It was not overpowering, but empowering. I felt that I was a better person, stronger, more confident when I was around him. And I am a better person, stronger, more confident, because I knew him. Bert was a member of the search team that first recommended me to this congregation, my first congregation, your first minister. He served on the Committee on Ministry for a number of years as I got my feet under me and my wits about me and some confidence within me and the support of the congregation and colleagues around me and began to walk with the congregation over the hills and into the valleys of congregational life. He was very clear early on, thank God, that I would not be perfect. <laughs> he knew the truth that no minister can be equally and supremely proficient at all the duties of ministry. And rather than bemoan that fact or criticize, he simply asked for honest reflection on my part. What were those places I felt less confident? How could congregational volunteers come around and offer support in those areas? What were the things we needed to learn together? And I say this not to recount my story, but to underline the fact that Bert, as Jim said, in the position he held on the Committee on Ministry, but also over and above and through any of the many positions he held in this congregation, he was a vital person and presence, not only in the formation of my ministry, but also, I believe, in the formation of the shared ministry of this congregation. And look at you now. How wonderful to be here with you at Linda's invitation and Lowell's invitation and Mitzi's invitation here in your building with you all. Bert was instrumental in any and all of us being here today, not only because it is his memorial service, but also because he did so much to make sure that this congregation was here to welcome people into a beloved community. Bert, through his work and through his life, understood the importance of mission and helped to lead a mission-building process in this congregation. He understood consensus as not 100% agreement, but 100% support. He understood that people are much more willing to offer support wherever they may fall on the issue if they know that they have been heard. And even as we Unitarian Universalists proudly uphold the role of reason in our tradition and support a religion that speaks to the head as well as the heart, Bert delighted in reminding us of the words of G. Stanley Hall, saying that our intellect is a mere speck afloat on a sea of emotion. And he was also especially fond, of course, of the quotation on your order of service, life is far too important 
to be taken seriously. Life is far too important. Bert Jones had a keen sense of what is important, what really matters. And he realized that so much of what we humans worry about and fight about and twist ourselves in knots about does not really matter. It strikes me that humor to Bert was not simply good fun, though it was good fun and he loved good fun. But humor was also a necessary component of life, reminding us not to take our thoughts and our opinions and our worries and our troubles and ourselves too seriously. Laughter encourages us to take a step back and see things from a different, less anxious, less self-important perspective. You have heard mention of Bert's distinctively casual attire. I remember when early on in my ministry here, one of the beloved members of the congregation, Phyllis Prickett, came to him in his role as a member of the Committee on Ministry, and she had a complaint about my too casual form of dress. And Bert took a step back from her and opened his arms and said, Phyllis, do you see who you're talking to? And though I have no doubt that Phyllis and others grew frustrated at times with Bert, as Phyllis and others sometimes grew frustrated with me, what I will always remember and carry with me regarding both Bert and Mitzi Jones is their deep love for the people in this congregation. The many ways, big and small, that they have expressed this love over the years the deep respect for the worth and dignity of each individual that accompanies this love. And I am reminded of Universalist minister Hosea Ballou's words, if we agree in love, there is no disagreement that can do us any injury. Life is too important. Love is too important. Bert and I shared a love for the book by Alan Watts, The Wisdom of Insecurity. Or I should say, I loved the book. Bert lived the book. I don't know how many times he had read it, but I remember him telling me that for a time he kept it by the bed and read some every day. And that each time through, he would find something new in it or make a new connection or open to a deeper realization. Bert was interested. It wasn't the most important piece about the book, but one of the things that he respected is that this is a short book. <laughs> he could easily become frustrated with the Unitarian Universalist tendency to never say one word when ten were available. <laughs> he appreciated that Watts tried to be clear and concise even when he was taking on some of the great questions of existence. And he especially appreciated and spoke with me many times about the distinction 
that Watts draws between belief and faith. Watts writes, belief has thus become an attempt to hang on to life, to grasp and keep it for one's own. But you cannot understand life and its mysteries as long as you try to grasp it. Indeed, you cannot grasp it, just as you cannot walk off with a river in a bucket. If you try to capture running water in a bucket, it is clear that you do not understand it and that you will always be disappointed, for in the bucket, the water does not run. To have running water, you must let go of it and let it run. The same is true of life. Belief clings, but faith lets go. I will never read these words without thinking of Burt Jones. He was interested not in figuring life out, though he was an avid, lifelong learner. But he was less interested in figuring life out than in experiencing life. He was interested in exploration more than explanation. Bert was keenly aware of how lucky he was, both personally with his beloved wife Mitzi and son Lowell and daughter-in-law Teresa and grandson Benjamin, with his successful career and his ability and opportunity in retirement to pursue his many hobbies and interests and love of the natural world, his community and congregation. He would often express to me that he knew he was fortunate. He knew that he was lucky to have all that, but he was also keenly aware of how lucky he was to simply be alive. He was aware of just how improbable and precarious life itself is. He greeted with grateful, outstretched arms all that life had to offer. He allowed the river to run and delighted in the sound and spray and sight of droplets sparkling in the air. He lived the wisdom of insecurity, knowing that he, neither he nor any of us, can capture running water in a bucket, nor stop the cycle of life and death. And I remember one Sunday, Bert was helping to set up chairs in the school that where we rented space for the service. And he said to me that considering he was celebrating his 70th birthday, he was regretfully resigning from our youth group. <clears throat> and I laughed, as I often did with Bert. But there was a poignancy there, too, as there often was with Bert. In that bit of humor, there was a recognition of time passing, of life changing, of the river running. In closing, these words from Alan Watts. Free from clutching at themselves, the hands can handle. Free from looking after themselves, the eyes can see. Free from trying to understand itself, thought can think. In such feeling, seeing, and thinking, life requires no future to complete itself, 
nor explanation to justify itself. In this moment, it is finished. It is an honor to be with you all. God, I forgot I was supposed to come up here. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> uh, I just want to say that along with the feeling of grief and even much more overpowering feeling is that of gratitude. How lucky can one person be? 59 years with a man who was as much fun and as rich and deep and wise and crazy as Burt Jones. Uh, just truly, truly grateful. And that's my overpowering feeling today. When we say they threw away the pattern after making that person, that certainly describes Burt Jones. The Burt Jones that I knew, and one that probably you know, knew as well, always marched to his own drumbeat. I learned that very early when I first met him. It was a September day in 1957. It was on a campus of Howard College, which is now Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. We had just moved to a brand new uh, campus in a new location of Birmingham. Everything was sparkling new. Everybody was new. It was exciting. There was uh, excitement in the air and uh, just this newness and excitement there. And I was in the lobby of the men's uh, residence hall one day that uh, morning, and I started talking to this guy from Atmore, Alabama. Well, the conversation came around to about roommates. I said I, my roommate hadn't arrived on campus yet, and so I, didn't, I had not met him. And this guy said, well, I'll move in and be your roommate. I said, well, I don't think you can do that. And uh, he said, I said, well, what happens if he comes late on? He said, oh, he can just have my old room then. So it was no problem to him. But I kept insisting that uh, I don't think we can do that. Well, either late on that day or either the next morning at the latest, this guy by the name of Burt Jones moves his stuff into my room. And he was there for four years <laughs> until he met his next roommate, who was Mitzi. Bert and I did not, did not hang out and do a lot of things together as college roommates. We had our own group of friends, but um, that was a special bond we had. In fact, we didn't um, have much communication through the years uh, there, uh, but that was still a very special bond that I felt with Bert. But he could be very, very frustrating to me. <laughs> um, Bert had a great mind. But I struggled academically. I worked hard to just get C's and a few B's every now and then. Bert just barely scratched the surface, and he was making great grades, and that just used to frustrate me. I said, Bert, why don't you just do a little work? What do you think you could do? Well, again, he was marching to his drumbeat until he found his right cadence there. Bert enjoyed life, and he loved having fun with his friends, and he enjoyed showing his affection by teasing you and uh, with fun-loving jokes on you. Bert, being a mu music major at the time, used to tease me by saying, 
Joe, you're the only person in the world I know who can sing a song in every key. And, and, and then with that little twinkle in his eye, he would say, at the same time. <laughs> but Bert had a grounded faith. He wouldn't let you get off with uh, glib piety and call it faith. He would, he would challenge you, and he'd love to play the devil's advocate. I first realized the depth of his faith when he reintroduced me to a hymn that has become very meaningful to me. Uh, and he shared his interpretation or his, uh, what the words meant to him. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from my eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. To all life thou givest, to both great and small. In all life thou livest, the true life of all. We blossom and, fair and flourish as leaves on a tree, and wither and perish, but naught changeth thee. Burst faith was in an unchangeable God who was the giver of life, and life more abundantly. And Bert lived that life fully in its abundance. Hello, Sky Island. My name is Bill Hornbuckle, and uh, I uh, was, a, like Joe, one of Bert's uh, college friends. I do bring you greetings today from our church. Me and the Coveys uh, are members of the San Gabriel uh, Unitarian Universalist Fellowship in Georgetown, Texas. And uh, just being here kind of reminds me of, of being in, uh, at San Gabriel. It's great. I think just hearing what I've heard so far, I think one of the greatest jokes was that Joe and I consulted about whether or not we should wear a tie today. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, it's just been great to hear all of, these, uh, all of these things. I think everything that I will say in some ways has already been said. Uh, both in these wonderful pictures and in these great remembrances, this great eulogy, Rod. Uh, but like a good UU, I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> you know, I'm not exactly sure how the world, and more specifically, how I am going to get along without birth. But that's precisely what we're called upon to do today, to continue our life, as Bert would have us do. And after all, at the end of the day, what else is there for us to do but to continue, and as Mitzi said, to be grateful. Grateful that we are consciously alive, that we inhabit this incredibly marvelous planet, and that we've had the privilege of knowing and loving a character such as Bert Jones. You know, this very day, Bert is making good on a promise he made to me years ago. He never called me by my first name. It was always Hornbuckle. He said, Hornbuckle? Uh, well, I should say this, first of all. When Bert and Mitzi moved to Arizona, you all may know this, Bert was not keen on going back to the East for nearly anything, particularly for funerals. 
I kept telling him that Texas really wasn't in the east. <laughs> but uh, here's what he said. He said, Hornbuckle, if I die first, and even if you come to my funeral, I'm not coming to yours. <laughs> and then, and then he would laugh. That deep belly laugh that we all came to know and to love and to expect, especially when he was telling his own jokes, you know. Bert and I, like Joe said, walked onto the campus of Howard College in September of 1957. Joe, it must have been the same week. Two guys from two completely different parts of the country. I was from Kentucky. He was from, as he would say, the original L.A., Lower Alabama, and uh, he was from a little town called Atmore. But we came basically from the same kind of uh, blue-collar, religiously conservative, hard-working families. And we were alike in another way. We were green as gourds. <laughs> we had so much to learn. We knew that. But most of our energy was spent trying to keep everybody else from knowing how really green <laughs> and inexperienced we were. But, of course, it didn't work. Uh, our true status was soon discovered by the likes of Mitzi Gorner, <laughs> Joe McDade, and, and everybody else, really. But maybe it was that that forged our friendship in those early days. Back then, both Bert and I were enrolled as music majors. But there was one place where the similarities ended. Though we had both discovered our gifts in music in our little Baptist church context, Bert actually came to college already equipped with a very powerful, beautiful singing voice. Uh, I'm sure you've been graced by hearing that voice many times. I, on the other hand, was pretty mediocre. And uh, Bert's instructors pretty quickly had him convinced he was going to sing at the Met. <laughs> well, I had enough sense to know that if Bert was going to be singing in New York, I was going to be singing in Podunk. <laughs> and so I made a decision pretty quickly to just become a choir director. Uh, and it, that's exactly how I actually came to be Burt Jones' choir director for a while. Now, unfortunately, one of the jobs of a choir director is to point out the mistakes. <laughs> so you can just imagine the challenge I had as a peer of say, looking Mr. Jones in the eye and saying, that's too much, Bert. You're singing too loudly. <laughs> or, that's not exactly in tune, Bert. Let's work on that. But at any rate, he was gracious, and uh, he and Mitzi and our other college friends were gracious, and they let me be the leader, try my wings as a young conductor. Uh, <clears throat> after, uh, actually, at that point, I think that being a musician and a music major was not a big enough world for Bert. 
and he began then to branch out and to and to start reading these things that we've heard today. Jim mentioned Reinhold Niebuhr. I'm sure Paul Tillich and other theologians and this book that uh, Rod referred to. Uh, and so he began to really branch out, and, and as Joe has said, he just had this keen mind for this. But after college and weddings, Bert and I and our families went our separate ways for several decades, but still managed to keep in touch. Then in the late 90s, I got a call from Bert telling me he was on what I think he was calling his Huckleberry trip, and he wanted to stop by my place and visit. At that time, I lived by myself in a North Georgia farmhouse. Bert came in, and in the quietness of that rural setting, we talked deep into the night, recounting the winding ways of our separate journeys, geographically, personally, and perhaps most importantly, theologically. At breakfast the next morning, Bert said this, Hornbuckle, I'll be honest with you. I was really worried about reconnecting with you because I knew how much I had changed from those early days of our friendship, and I was afraid you hadn't changed. Well, he was surprised and relieved. So, in the late mornings, about every two or three weeks since then, I might pick up the phone, and the voice on the other end would just start talking without announcing who it was, assuming that I should recognize the voice, and that he was the only, you know, if he said, this is Bert, he would assume he was the only Bert in the world that I knew. Or if he heard my wife's voice on the line, he might just singing about darling or something like that. Or say, good golly, Miss Molly. Our talks since then have been mutually fulfilling and seem to have given us so much pleasure because of the similar, common philosophical and theological ground we have traversed, even to the point of taking very circuitous journeys that eventually led us both to Unitarian Universalist congregations. In these last few years, Mitzi and Bert have introduced Molly and me to some of the natural wonders of the West, for which we are eternally grateful. Our trips and experiences together have been informational, intellectually stimulating, and it goes without saying, full of lots of laughter. So, sadly, but gratefully, goodbye, Bert, old friend of the long road. Your life sure made a difference to me. So many people have started off, and I have to write everything down. And uh, so there's going to be a little repetition because uh, Bert, if nothing else throughout his life, was very consistently inconsistent. So um, uh, Bert is someone that I can't remember not knowing. So my parents met Bert and Mitzi at the Baptist Student Union in Tuscaloosa, Alabama in the early 1960s. So this was a time of a lot of racial tension in um, Alabama at the time, and you may have heard of Governor George Wallace, who made a very famous stand on the schoolhouse steps. They brought in armored cars and all this stuff. Um, but Bert was selected to be the resident advisor for
for uh, James Hood, who was the first male African-American enrolled and admitted to the University of Alabama, admit all of the racial violence in the 60s. Um, growing up, Lowell was the closest thing that my sister and April had to a brother, and Bert and Mitzi were like a second set of parents, except they were way cooler than my <laughs> mom and dad. <laughs> So Mitzi had this gorgeous, really shiny, long brown hair. And my mom looked kind of like me, you know, just blonde and whatever. Um, Bert was the original rhinestone cowboy. So he lit up the room whenever he came in. Um, he was reverently irreverent, or irreverently reverent. I'm not quite sure how to put it, but uh, you never knew what he might say. So your first inkling that he was around usually started when you heard, you don't have to call me darling, preceding him as he made his grand entrance into the room. As my mom put it, we were all Bert's darlings. He made us all feel special in our own way, and Mitzi was forever his queen. I don't even remember Bert referring to his family by name. Instead, Lowell was always boy, <laughs> and Mitzi was wife. They were both othered with a very special tenderness and protectiveness underneath the gruff exterior. Uh, both Bert and Mitzi and my parents ended up in Huntsville, where Lowell and I were born in 1968. So we grew up in the very warm embrace of a church group that uh, Bert actually helped start called the Ecumenical Fellowship. So the fellowship was a church group of probably about this size uh, with full of families and uh, lots of young people and laughter. Uh, we had retreats at Camp Sumatonga where Lowell had a habit of getting lost in the woods and Nobody Mitzi would be really, really worried and Bert would be casually hanging out and he was not worried enough to go help find him. <laughs> we had Easter egg hunts at the Gonias, Halloween pumpkin carvings, and regular Sunday evening worship services that generally started and ended in song. Whether it was the fellowship song, Here We Are, All Together, or the doxology sung to the tune of Chim Chim Cheree, Bert's voice was both dramatic and powerful, carrying us forward and always lifting us up. Bert worked a variety of jobs throughout his Huntsville years. Some of them earned him the title of the most honorable Dr. Jones, although I'm not sure which position it was that, uh, that awarded him that title. Um, I do remember him selling paintings and art for a while, uh, and he was probably responsible for one of the most famous paintings that got passed around at the annual White Elephant Sale uh, of the Fellowship or White Elephant Party. So we had this picture. It was quite elaborate in a very ornate gold plastic frame. It had its own special light at the top that you could plug in so the picture was always illuminated. So it was of a black Jesus and the 12 disciples at the Last Supper. So if a colored Jesus didn't earn you a reputation in Alabama in the 70s, nothing would. So, um, I was talking with my sister on the plane here and I mentioned to her that as a child, I found Bert intimidating. Now, she didn't, but April and I are, are quite different people. Um, as a teenager, I thought he could be kind of embarrassing. So we would take trips, whitewater rafting, or to other places. And I was always just a little terrified that he was going to really embarrass me. 
But um, as I grew into adulthood, he was a strong source of support for me many, many, many times over. Um, I remember realizing that Bert actually had a very serious side um, when my parents were divorced. And uh, I, my dad showed up at a, at a horse show and thought this was the great time to introduce his new girlfriend to me. <laughs> so I'm on the phone with Bert and Mitzi at a payphone in Columbus, Georgia. And Bert's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I'm sure they, I don't even remember what they said, but I felt so much better after hanging up. Um, as as uh, others have shared, Bert came from the original L.A. or lower Alabama, and he always very heartily embraced his southern roots. For uh, those of y'all from outside the southern states, uh, Louis Grizzard is a southern writer and columnist, and he kind of summed it up best when he once said, Yankees just don't understand the southern way of talking. It's a language of nuance. What we can do in the south is take a word and change it just a little bit and make it mean something else altogether. For instance, in the South, there's a difference between naked and naked. <laughs> so naked means you don't have any clothes on, and naked means you don't have any clothes on, and you're up to something. <laughs> Bert was always up to something. <laughs> and many times we weren't sure what it was. But at the end of the day, you were always glad he was around and in your corner. As a husband, father, brother, son, and friend, we were all blessed to have known Bert Jones. And when we leave here today, we can choose to share some of the many pieces and parts of him that live on in our hearts with others. Let having, no Bert, let having known Bert make you sing when you might have been silent, laugh loudly when you'd rather just smile, dance too close, to somebody you love, and silently uplift someone when they most need love and support. It's always kind of hard to follow an older sister. <laughs> um, so I didn't prepare any words today. My paper is this one, and I think I've got everything I need because I have plenty of Bert stories to go around. Um, but I did just want to, like, start by saying that I think Amy and Lowell and Benjamin and I may be the only people in the room that have known Bert our entire lives. And that makes me feel real special. And I knew when I was just a really small child that um, I guess my earliest estimation of Bert's value, even though he did have that booming voice and could be a little intimidating, I knew he had to be a good guy because Mitzi was truly the most beautiful woman in the world. And I thought, you know, if he's good enough for her, he's got to be good enough for me, too. <laughs> in those um, early days, too, when we got together with the Ecumenical Fellowship, and I, I do in the the short amount of time that we've been in this room feel like this group of people is so like that group of people we grew up with in Huntsville, which makes me confident I can share some of these stories without offending anybody's sense of religion. <laughs> but um, the grown-ups used to get together, and they would eat and drink a little or a lot, um, share stories, and, you know, sometimes they talked about 
some philosophical stuff, some religious stuff. And what was really cool about it was they never changed their behavior based on the kids being in the room. So occasionally, you know, Bert might tell an off-color joke, and I might have to go ask my dad, that was real funny, but what's a bisectomy? <laughs> that one was about an Auburn grad, but I won't tell the story. <laughs> See me at lunchtime, I'll tell you. Um, but I do remember this one particular religious-type discussion they were having, and uh, I don't remember who was doing the talking, but somebody said, you know, there's heart of Jesus in everybody's heart. And that stopped me right there. I was like six years old, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, I don't get that. Don't get it at all. And after they were all done talking, I went over to Uncle Bert and said, I need to understand something. How did God know how many people there were going to be? <laughs> he said, well, I don't know what you mean. And I said, well, he had to know how many people there were ever going to be on earth in order to divide Jesus up <laughs> and put a piece of him in everybody's heart. And furthermore, I want to know what part of him I have in my heart. <laughs> and Bert said, well, what part do you think you have? And I, uh, well, I don't know. There are a lot of people who have lived here before I came along. I bet all I got left was a sliver of a fingernail or something. And he said, well, darling, I bet you got the best, most immaculate piece of fingernail that anybody ever had in their heart. And I was thinking as we were sitting here, I'm going to tell that story because that was Bert. Like, that was how he made everybody feel special, no matter what they had, no matter what they were. And um, when, when my daddy turned, it was 60, right, that we did that video for him, we interviewed a lot of people who had been very instrumental in his life or for whom he had been very instrumental and we were fortunate that, that Bert and Lowell were passing through town the year before, and I was able to get him on videotape sort of talking about something that he and my daddy had in common, which was that they were both the youngest by far in their families. So they were both like late-in-life surprises to their mamas. Uh, so my daddy was the youngest of six. Bert was the youngest of eight, right? And so he's telling this story on videotape about how that was something that he and daddy really had in common. And he said, you know, I think, I think your daddy's mama, just like my mama, really taught him the importance of living life in gratitude. And he went on to talk about that for a while. And in hearing Mitzi's comments and other people's comments here today, I know that that theme of gratitude truly was shaped by Bert's mama. My daddy shared it from his mama. And I will be lying if I was standing up here today and didn't say that every day of my life since that videotaping, I have thought about gratitude. And it makes me think of Bert Jones. So as we're going to eat the lunch that's waiting for us in there that y'all were also kind to bring, that's sort of my, my parting thought, is let's all be grateful to be here together to celebrate Jones. Um, I didn't shave in my father's honor. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Great shot. laughs>
so I didn't write down anything, and I did not, unfortunately, inherit my father's storytelling skills, but I'm going to do my best. I'm, I'm actually going to sh share one of his stories that was um, my favorite, uh, probably my favorite that he, he told, and I think it really captured his essence more than <laughs> any other story he told, which was, uh, and it, which it, 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 it kind of captures the main elements of him, which are, you know, love, humor, integrity, and a little, being a little bit of a pain in the ass. <laughs> that's the, that's he, um, when we moved to Knoxville, he had a, a job at TVA, and um, his boss was kind of a type A personality, wound a little tight, and came into his office when you can imagine how my father uh, loved to rib her. Um, but she came into the office one day and said, oh, Birch, got to fill this out. Gave, get, just kind of threw a piece of paper on his desk and he said, well, what's this? It's your, it's your uh, career goals. You need, to, you need to put in your career goals. I need to turn them into HR. He goes, uh, I don't have any career goals. And she said, well, you gotta put, got to put something down. <laughs> he goes, uh, well, I always want to be a cowboy. Can I put down put a cowboy? <laughs> He goes, no, you can't put down cowboy. <laughs> he said, well, I'll, uh, I, I tell you what, his, her, her name was Marty. He said, Marty, I'll, I'll, let me go home and think about this. I'm going to give it a real honest thought, and I'll come back, and I'll give you an answer. Uh, you know, I'll fill it out and give it to you tomorrow. She said, oh, okay, and she kind of stormed off. So, and he did. He went, came home, thought about it, came back to the office the next day. Um... Marty, like first first thing, came in and said, so did, you, did you fill that out? I need to turn it into HR. He said, well, I haven't filled it out yet because I wanted to tell them to you first, see if, see if you're okay with it. And he said, oh, okay, what is it, what is it? And he said, well, I have, I have three goals in life, I decided. One is um, I want to provide a reasonable life for my, myself and my family, reasonable um, standard of living, doing something that I enjoy doing. Okay. Uh, number two, I want to to ever widen the circle of those I can afford to tell to kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> and three, I want to be able to develop my eccentricities to their fullest potential. <laughs> and, she, and she just said, give me that paper, and she just walked off. <laughs> That's, I think that pretty much encapsulates my father. And thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. We will continue telling stories and laughing together over lunch following the benediction and the postlude, for which I ask you to remain seated so that we can get the... Um, dishes out onto the tables for you and because you might want to sing along. On your way to the reception, if you haven't signed the guest book, it's on this table right here and I invite you to do that. And I think Lowell will announce when it is time after the clattering of dishes has died down a bit for uh, the open mic to begin so that you can tell some more stories.
We are glad that Bert Jones lived. We are grateful that we saw his face. We are grateful that we felt the glow of his friendship and love. We cherish the memory of his words and deeds and character. We delight in the ways that we remember he made us laugh and smile. Carrying him now in our hearts, let us end this time of remembrance in comfort and peace, assured that even in times of loss and sorrow, life remains precious and good. Let us honor Bert's legacy by nourishing our own zest for life, by giving generously of love, of humor, of wisdom, and support to the people we care about and those beyond our community. We extinguish the light of our chalice now, but the light and warmth of Bert's legacy live on. And now I invite Teresa to come forward for the benediction. I feel compelled to share publicly um, that he was a wonderful and precious father to me. As we continue grieving Bert's passing and celebrating his life, and as we move from this place Let's allow his story to be woven into our own. Let us, like Bert, have open hearts that respect all life. Pause to look deeply under the surface of things to find truth. Take joy in discovery. Commit to serve the global good. Stay motivated by our, our adaptive capacities and remain ever playful. May it be so. <laughs>